Going Postal Publishing, The Going Postal Cast, and Christopher Chapman present Incarceration, the serialized weekly podcast performed by the author, Christopher Chapman. For more information, visit www.goingpostalpublishing.com or email him at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. This podcast is not suitable for children. It has violence, gore, and lots and lots of naughty words. If you can't handle that, go somewhere else. And now, on with the story, or whatever other crap I decide to come up with. Chapter 32 Jason didn't sleep most of that day. He still intended on staying up that night, but his mind was filled with random thoughts that kept him awake no matter how hard he tried to sleep. It didn't help that the entire prison was abuzz with news about the missing CO. The CO turned out to be Clarence Hongisto, a guard on the late shift. Jason had met him several times, but never really knew the man. From what Jason remembered, the man was a bastard. He liked things a certain way and was quick to punish you if you got out of line. Clarence was missing and the entire prison knew about it. COs went from cell to cell examining every square inch in hope that they would find some clue as to what happened to him. The search lasted all day, making a large ruckus. It was normally loud inside the prison during the day, but nothing like it was today. Some inmates joined in on the search while others celebrated the fact that somebody whacked one of the men that was paid to watch them. For some, it was as if they were having a Christmas party. Jason wasn't overly concerned either way. He was well aware of what could have happened to Clarence. He was mildly relieved that Clarence hadn't already been found with his throat ripped out. That would have been very bad for Jason. Despite the fact that he really hadn't committed those murders, he was the most well-known killer in Lipsky Swamp. Everybody knew what he was accused of doing and how he supposedly had done it. If they would have found the body, the COs would have come looking for him first. After more than 15 years of avoiding the hole... They would have their make-believe way of tossing him in there and throwing away the key. Fortunately, they hadn't found the body. That also didn't mean that they wouldn't find the body. That was still a very large possibility. Unless there was a very good hiding spot somewhere in this prison where somebody, or something, would easily be able to hide a body. He had to keep reminding himself of what Matt had told him about the vampires. Even though he still wasn't 100% convinced of their existence, he couldn't deny the fact of what he'd seen and how things were playing out. That didn't rule out that Matt did it himself as a way of saying that he was a better killer than Jason. The thought had occurred to Jason that Matt was supposed to be the copycat killer, copying the murders that Jason reportedly committed. Maybe this whole thing was a charade with Matt using the opportunity to rub it in Jason's face. Maybe he was the one that killed the CEO and claimed it was the work of vampires. The whole scenario seemed as unlikely as the existence of vampires, leaving him with more questions than answers. He didn't know what to think. Part of him, slightly over half, wanted to believe Matt Zern's story. If Matt were right, there would be a chance that his parents were still around in some capacity. They would be dead. Sort of. But he would get to see them again. That also meant that he would know who murdered his parents and finally have the chance to take out the last 16 years of solitude and frustration on him. There was a very good chance that he wouldn't make it out of that fight alive, 
but anything had to be better than doing nothing about it while sitting in a prison that just wants you to disappear. That's what made believing Matt's story more probable. If Matt had killed a CEO, he did it in one of the most heavily guarded prisons in the United States. From what Jason had been told, Lipsky Swamp had more guards per criminal than any other prison known or unknown to man. Jason saw how difficult it would have been for Matt, or anybody for that matter, to kill a guard in the prison. Sirens sounded. Jason lifted his head, trying to figure out what was happening. It was less than an hour before dark, and the last of the assigned yard times had already finished. What was happening? All of the cell doors opened simultaneously. Curious, Jason jumped down from his bunk and left the cell. Rick was right behind him. As they left the cell, Jason saw that hundreds of other inmates had done the same. Quick looks to the left and right showed Jason the same questioning expressions that he wore on his own face. Nobody knew what was going on. Somebody spoke through a bullhorn. Everybody is to report to the yard where the warden wishes to speak with all of you, the man on the bullhorn said. Rick and Jason exchanged a look, shrugged their shoulders, and did as they were told. They walked down the stairs and followed the procession of prisoners as they made their way towards the yard. As they walked, Jason couldn't help but notice that there was an above-average amount of guards on duty. Usually, only some of them carried semi-automatic weapons, with many carrying service pistols in their holsters. Tonight, all of them carried the semi-automatics. Out in the yard, the air was extremely cold. Goosebumps raised on Jason's arms and legs. He stayed close to Rick, wanting somebody familiar to be close during this time of confusion. He wasn't wearing his magazine protection and needed to be extra careful. They waited for the warden patiently. Scott Yamry was the second warden since Jason arrived. This was only the second time that he was going to see the warden. The first time had been eight years ago, shortly after Scott had been appointed. He went around from prisoner to prisoner, escorted with three heavily armed guards, and introduced himself. He paid extra special attention to Jason, wanting to know just how Jason had killed his parents. Jason refused to speak to the man, knowing that the guy was using his misfortune for pleasure. That was the closest Jason's temper had come to out of control in the entire time he was in prison. One more stupid remark, and the warden would have left with a broken jaw. Jason, on the other hand, would have left in a body bag and several new holes in his body. Things settled down, and they went their separate ways. He hadn't seen Scott again until now. May I have your attention, please? Jason heard. The voice was coming through a bullhorn. It was Scott. May I have your attention, please? What the fuck? Somebody asked from within the crowd. Scott paid him no attention. His focus was on the crowd and whatever he had to say. Jason watched, knowing that this had something to do with the missing guard. Maybe there would be an update. Maybe there wouldn't. Scott started speaking. Before we get started, I'm sure that you all see the armed guards at every exit, Warren Yamri said. Don't try anything foolish, because these men have been instructed to shoot first and ask questions later if any of you decide to do something stupid. Don't be pressing your luck. Jason scanned the exits. Sure enough, guards were planted everywhere. 
Men with high-powered weapons stood in front of every exit from the prison. They looked as serious as the guards that stand in front of Buckingham Palace. As many of you are probably aware, Warden Yamri continued, Correctional Officer Clarence Hongisto went missing sometime this morning before first shift arrived for duty. The crowd erupted into conversation. Scott held up his hand, wanting them to be quiet. His body was discovered in an old laundry facility that's no longer used. Some members of the prison population broke into celebration after hearing that one of the guards was dead. Others stayed quiet, not wanting to press their luck as CEOs readied their weapons. Within the next 24 to 48 hours, each and every one of you will be questioned in regards to what happened. If any of you have any information as to what may be responsible for this horrific crime, I suggest you come forward immediately. Anybody with information that helps us in finding the bastard that did this will get a personal recommendation from me when your next parole hearing rolls around. Jason watched Scott speak, feeling slightly bad for the man. He was in a very bad position. A member of his crew was dead, and he had no answers. He was the head of a prison that wasn't supposed to exist. If Clarence had a wife, she wasn't likely going to keep her mouth shut after finding out that her husband was murdered. She'd want answers, and would likely want them to pay. Scott would likely pay with his job. Or worse. Asking the prison population for help was about as low as he could sink. But Jason saw that he'd been left with no other choice. He was grasping at straws, trying to get somebody to come forward and likely take the heat off him. He needed somebody to throw to the wolves and was willing to do what it took. When nobody responded to Warden Yamri's offer, he spoke once more. If that's how you all want to be, he said, Fine. Next, I'm looking for five prisoners to go with two of my armed guards. We will be retrieving Clarence's body tonight and taking him out to the prison gate. No paramedics or coroners are allowed on these grounds. We will be transporting the body to Green Bay where an autopsy will be performed. Those who volunteer will receive the same recommendation that I promised earlier. That is why I will not allow lifers without parole to volunteer for this position. Everybody else that's willing will be considered. Jason was stunned when Rick walked forward, leaving his side. He moved to the front of the crowd, his right hand high in the air. I see we have a volunteer, Warden Yamri said. Jason caught up to Rick. What the hell are you doing? Jason asked. I have a parole hearing next year, he said. I'm increasing my chances of getting the fuck out of here. You know that nobody gets parole out of here, Jason told him. As far as he knew, nobody had ever left Lipsky Swamp if they weren't in a body bag. He's just playing you so you can do his dirty work and keep this place a secret. I have to do something, Rick said slowing momentarily to look at Jason. I have a daughter that turns 18 in a few months, and I've never even met her. I have to do this. Jason let him walk away. He'd never seen Rick act like that before. He'd known him for nearly 16 years. He'd known that Rick had a daughter, but that Rick had known her before social services took her away from his wife. Was this another daughter? The conversation had never come up in all those years. That proved just how well you think you know somebody, only to realize you don't know them at all. A hand pressed against Jason's back as two more volunteers made their way to the front of the crowd. 
Jason's heart skipped a beat as he thought that somebody was about to put a knife into his back. Jason turned, feeling relief when he saw that it was Matt Zern. Isn't that your cellmate? Matt asked, looking in Rick's direction. Yeah, Jason said, feeling dread that he couldn't stop him. He can't go in there, Matt said. For the first time in the short amount of time that Jason had known him, he thought he could hear panic in his voice. It's a trap. Anybody that goes in there is as good as dead. He looked to the sky. The sun was nearing the horizon. There's less than a half an hour before it gets completely dark out. Clarence will be waking up soon. Jason's heart was racing. He left Matt, working his way through the crowd in an effort to try talking Rick out of going. As he approached the front of the crowd, he found the passage blocked. The crowd was so packed together that he couldn't get through. He watched helplessly as Rick joined four other inmates and two armed guards. They moved back towards the prison, walking as a unit. Rick! Jason yelled, but was drowned out by the noise of the crowd. He jumped into the air and waved his arms, but Rick was done looking his way. He was determined to follow through with this, even if it could mean his life. Jason turned to Matt. What do I do? I don't know, Matt said in a voice that seemed almost sympathetic. I guess we just hope for the best. Hope for the best? Jason asked, moving close enough to Matt so that they wouldn't be overheard by anybody in the crowd. You told me this morning that the only way they can die is with a stake through the heart. I don't exactly see a lot of wood around here. How do you expect him to survive, let alone us? I thought that you didn't want to believe me, Matt said. I don't want to, but I don't like the way this is all playing out, Jason admitted. The truth was that he hoped that Matt was wrong. Rick would return in an hour or so, and everything would return to normal. There was something about tonight, however, that made Jason feel extremely uneasy. It could have been the remaining effects of the concussion, but he didn't think so. His head felt much clearer than it had a few hours ago. Still, something didn't feel right here, and as he watched Rick disappear into the prison, he really believed that it was the last time he was going to see him alive. He was scared. Not just for himself. He was scared for Rick. Rick had been his only friend for the almost 16 years he'd been in prison. He'd replaced the guy that was supposed to have been his best friend. Dave Grimes betrayed him, testifying against him in court. He lost a good friend that day and found himself not wanting to lose another one now. Jason turned to Matt again. Is there any way we can sneak in there and help? No, Matt said almost immediately. Look around, son. There are men with guns at every exit. Even if we were able to get past them, we'd still have to deal with the obvious. We don't have any weapons for dealing with vampires here. I admit that I've put us all in a precarious position. How in the hell do you expect us to fight them, then? Jason asked, nearly growling. I never said anything about fighting them, now did I? Matt asked. Jason thought about it and shook his head. What I said was that we have to start planning our escape. That wasn't supposed to be happening tonight. We need more time to plan this out. But things are moving much more quickly than I could ever have imagined. They'll be making their move on the prison in the next few days. Hell, maybe the next few hours. We'll have to act quickly. Jason looked around. He saw the many lookout towers and their beams of light. 
He remembered how he saw his father and the man who'd killed him in those very same beams. Was this how they were able to get into the prison? Were they getting through the fence, over or under? He had a sudden thought, but if he were right, it would be very bad for everyone. He didn't know how the vampires worked, but knew that somebody else would. He told Matt everything he'd seen in the last couple days. He wanted to know if they were all sitting ducks where they were. Should we have cause for worry here? Jason asked. Matt looked at the fences. He seemed to be studying them, trying to determine for himself the answer to the question. I think we're fine here, Matt said. I don't think that there are enough of them quite yet. Even though I've never seen one die with bullets, there are enough armed men here to ruin their night one way or another. No, they'll wait until they have a strong enough force inside before they make their move. Unfortunately, it's my guess that they're about to convert seven more tonight. I want you all to spread out into separate sections. Warden Yamri called to the group of prisoners. First floor on the west side. Third floor on the east side. The second floor can stay put. Men will come around and perform quick searches. They may also ask you a few questions. I recommend you doing whatever it is that they ask. What's happening tonight is very serious, and I, nor they, will hesitate to do something very serious to you if you try getting funny. The whole will be the least of your worries. The threat was as malicious as anything Jason had ever heard. His skin broke out in goosebumps as he thought about the possibilities of what Warden Yamri could do to them. He knew, however, that the only punishment he was considering was a bullet between the eyes. Jason waited patiently as Matt moved to the west side of the yard. He waited for it to all be over. For the first time in his entire life, Jason said a prayer in his mind. He wanted Rick to stay alive, just as much as he still wanted his parents to be alive. His parents may still be walking the earth but he didn't want Rick to join them. He'd be seeing Rick again soon enough. Chapter 33 Rick Carlson didn't like what he was doing, but believed that he had little choice. He'd been in prison for 18 years, had already lost one daughter to the state, and had never met another daughter. He hadn't even known she existed until three months ago. He discovered his daughter in the strangest of ways, another inmate. Everybody believed he was dead, including a prisoner who entered Lipsky Swamp after killing two teenagers in a robbery gone wrong. When Rick met the man, he asked if he was the Rick Carlson who dated Rebecca Niemi and then killed his wife. He was the Rick. He informed Rick that he had dated her as well and of the child he never knew saying that she was almost 18 years old and getting ready to go to college. He dated her because his wife hadn't been the only one concealing a secret. He had a woman on the side, just as she had a man. The only difference was that he'd waited until he discovered her secret and became sure that the marriage was over before he did anything. Also, he hadn't been the one who lost custody of their daughter to social services. Why hadn't Rebecca told him about their daughter? He suspected that it was due to the fact that he was on trial for the murder of his wife shortly after the conception. Rebecca might not have even known until after his conviction and decided against telling him. He'd been fortunate in his sentencing. The jury had acquitted him of most of the charges against him due to the nature of why he had snapped and killed his wife. Maybe they'd sympathized with him. 
It didn't hurt that nine of the twelve members of the jury were men. He was sure that helped. He was sentenced to 30 years with a chance for parole at 15. The parole hearings came right on time at year 15, but nobody had ever received parole after staying in Lipsky Swamp, mostly because he was supposed to be dead. It wasn't as if it would have mattered either way. It wasn't like he would have been able to be part of his daughter's life. He was in prison. Not only was he in prison, he was in THE prison. This was the prison they sent you when they wanted you to disappear. They'd succeeded for all these years, and would probably keep succeeding until he died one way or another. Maybe knowing about her would have made a difference after all. Now that he thought about it, as he and six others walked through the prison towards the corpse of a CO, he might have been able to get parole the last time he was up for it. He slapped himself in the side of the head, drawing the attention of one of the COs. How could he be so stupid? Nobody gets parole out of Lipsky Swamp. The state doesn't want people with the knowledge of their best-kept secret walking around. They were very good at keeping their secrets a secret. That wasn't about to change, and he knew it. He was well aware that Warden Yamri had no intention of actually letting him leave on parole. He had no doubt that the warden would keep his word and give a good word at the hearing. No matter what he did, it would still lead with the same result. No. All he was good for was slave labor. That's what he was doing now. He was saving the warden's ass in his darkest hour. Their corpse recovery group consisted of four other prisoners that he knew slightly. He knew their first names, but didn't know any of their last names. He saw John, Chris, Mark, and Phil. He believed that he was in good company. Mark and John were men you didn't want to piss off. They were men that took their business seriously and did what they had to, no matter the cost. They were in a part of the prison that he'd never seen before. It was dark, void of all light. One of the COs had a flashlight in the hand that wasn't carrying the rifle. He scanned the scene as they moved deeper into the prison and deeper into the darkness. They came to a set of double doors. One of the COs motioned for Chris to push his way through. He shot the CO a nasty look. I'd do what you're told, the CO said, lifting the gun so Rick could get a better look at it. Chris shook his head, then pushed through the door slowly. He was moving slowly, stepping through carefully. Rick followed closely behind him, with the others close behind. They passed through the doors and came to a large, dark room. The light was nearly completely gone from the day, leaving very little light coming through the small windows. It was difficult to see anything that was more than 20 feet in front of them or that wasn't in the path of the flashlight. Apparently there was no power running to this part of the prison. Rick couldn't see the body and was about to say something when Chris spoke. I sees the body over there, Chris said in his southern drawl. Rick looked to where Chris was pointing. In the back of the room, just off to their right, was the body of a CO that Rick had seen numerous times before. He recognized most COs, but rarely knew their names. Like with other inmates, he never really took the time to learn other names. He considered it too personal. They were in prison, not some place where they needed to hold hands and sing campfire songs. This CO wasn't one of his favorites. In fact, he was a fucking bastard that was downright awful to many of the prisoners. He got what was coming to him. It was John that went to the body first. 
He knelt down to examine him. The flashlight's beam shone briefly on the body. As soon as it had, John jumped back to his feet and stepped back quickly. He doesn't have a fucking throat, John said, sounding like a man that had seen the Grim Reaper. He was panicking. His throat is gone! John's words echoed in Rick's mind. There was something familiar about those words. He moved closer to the body, passing John as he did. He looked down at the body and felt the stomach tighten. What he saw made all the food he'd eaten in the last week want to come back up at the same time. He covered his mouth with the palm of his hand, willing himself not to vomit. John was absolutely right. The throat was missing. Instead, Rick saw strands of skin, tendons, and bone in a bloody hole. Much of the blood had started drying, but plenty of wet blood remained. He'd seen many dead bodies in his lifetime, starting with that of his wife and ending with the dozens since he'd come to prison. Yet he couldn't help but feel sickened by what he saw here. The missing throat was unlike anything he'd ever seen, and now he wanted to be as far away from it as he could. As he stepped back, Phil moved forward. Good, he thought, wanting somebody else to have the responsibility of taking care of the body until he could regain his composure. Rick was thankful that the last of the light was leaving the day. Even with the flashlight shining directly on the body, it was getting harder to see. He became hopeful that he wouldn't have to see the bloody tendons much longer. His mind returned to the familiarity of the situation. He'd been told about something almost exactly like this. It didn't take much to realize exactly where he'd heard it before. After all, he'd heard it numerous times for 15 years because the man that said it was his roommate. Jason Rangel had told him that his parents had died because of somebody cutting out their throats. Looking down at the corpse lying before him, he saw into Jason's past life for the first time. It scared him. What do you want us to do with him? Phil asked one of the CEOs as he knelt next to the corpse. Nobody brought a stretcher. The five of you are going to haul him out of here, the taller of the CEOs said. I don't really give a shit how you do it, but you better hurry up. The warren told us to be quick about it. They're keeping everybody out in the yard until we've returned. What was that? Mark asked. He was standing off to their right. He stared into the darkness, standing as if he feared whatever it was that was beyond his view. What are you talking about? The other CO asked. I heard something, Mark told him. It sounded like footsteps. Something kicked a stone. I know I heard it. You probably heard a rat the first CO said. Let's get Clarence's body out of here. This old place gives me the creeps. Rick moved forward, trying not to look directly at the corpse. The others moved around, each grabbing hold of a different part of Clarence. Rick held him by his forearm and flinched when he felt how cold and clammy Clarence's skin was in his hand. Why did I volunteer for this shit? They lifted Clarence's body into the air. He was lighter than Rick had thought he would be. He glanced around, noticing that their CEOs had raised their guns and were pointing them straight towards them. It was obvious that they weren't taking any chances, even when their hands were full. Something moved in Rick's hand. For a brief moment, he wondered if Clarence had just had a muscle spasm. That was impossible. In his former life, he wasn't a doctor. But he knew that bodies didn't have muscle spasms this long after being dead. Maybe up to an hour but if he went missing over 12 hours ago and was this cold, he'd been dead a very long time. 
Did any of you feel that? Chris asked, looking at Rick with eyes that were as large as silver dollars. Rick stopped, feeling the body pull against his grip as the others continued moving. They soon stopped, looking at him with questioning expressions on each of their faces. They all wanted to know what was going on. Rick had no clue, but whatever it was, it couldn't be good. Why have you stopped? The larger CO asked. We have to get out of here quickly. Rick didn't know how to answer, and the others weren't about to. Rick had felt the muscle spasm. He was sure that Chris, at least, had felt it too. They were afraid to say much of anything, especially in front of the COs. Each of them, including Rick, had lost friends in this place because of a CO putting a few rounds into them. None of them wanted to become the next casualty. Rick released the body and walked towards the CO. The others continued holding the body up as he confronted the guards. Rick opened his mouth to say something, but never got the chance. As his mouth stood open, he saw the expressions of both COs change. They stared over his shoulder, back in the direction of his fellow inmates in the corpse. They had the look of men who were horrified by what they saw. Suddenly curious, Rick turned around, expecting to see one of the inmates having done something ridiculously stupid. What he saw nearly stopped his heart. The men dropped Clarence's body. He landed with a sickening thud against the concrete floor. That didn't stop the body from moving. Clarence's arms moved back and forth, grasping out for something that wasn't there. Not being left out of the action... The legs also moved as if they were kicking at something. What the fuck is this? Phil asked as he took a few steps back. He was talking to the CEO, but his eyes never left Clarence. Is this some kind of a fucking joke? This dude's alive. It wasn't a joke. It was far from a joke. Clarence was dead. There was no doubt in Rick's mind. He'd seen the body and the missing throat. He'd also touched that skin, feeling the clammy cold. The man had been dead for several hours and was now moving. This wasn't a muscle spasm. Clarence was moving as if he hadn't been dead in the first place. Rick couldn't tell what Clarence was trying to do. He looked like a fish out of water. He flopped around trying to get his hands underneath him. After a few seconds, he succeeded. He pressed himself onto his knees, then got his right foot underneath him, followed by the left. Clarence Hongisto, a dead man, was now standing. His back was to the group. He turned around slowly, facing them with closed eyes. They opened slowly, showing glazed-over pupils. Rick's eyes focused on the throat. The strands of tendon moved back and forth as the neck moved. Then something miraculous happened, as strange as anything he could have ever imagined. It was like something out of an old horror movie. The neck was healing itself. The skin stretched out, inching over the open wound. Severed tendons repaired themselves as the skin reformed over them. Within seconds, all that remained was a scar where the hole had been. Holy shit, the shorter CO said. Clarence, you all right, buddy? Clarence stared forward but didn't respond. His eyes moved right, then left. He looked at each person slowly and only for a short amount of time. He moved like a man who is drunk. His mouth opened slowly, revealing teeth that were growing rapidly. They were sharp and moved out over his lips. What in the hell is going on here? Rick asked himself. The taller CO moved forward, passing the others. 
His gun was no longer pointing at the prisoners. It was now pointed towards the floor. As he approached Clarence, his left hand moved out, ready to be placed on Clarence's left shoulder. I don't know what happened, but... were all the words he said before Clarence attacked. Clarence's mouth opened wide, slicing down onto the taller CO's hand. Blood sprayed out, covering Clarence's face in a crimson mist. The taller CO screamed out in surprise, trying to get his hand free from Clarence's mouth. He pulled hard, leaning backwards to get his weight into it. There was a ripping sound, like ripping a paper bag apart, and then he was free. He dropped to his knees as the gun dropped to the ground with a clack. He cradled what was left of his left hand, which wasn't much, in his right. He looked up at Clarence in surprise. This all happened in less than ten seconds. Nobody moved a muscle. Nobody could. They all stared, shocked at what they were seeing. Rick was as shocked as anybody, having never seen anything like this. It was so unreal that his mind refused to process what he was seeing. The shorter CO, in an effort to help his friend, raised his gun and pumped three rounds into Clarence's chest. Clarence fell to the ground, landing in a spread eagle. The shorter CO then went to the taller man and tried to help him. He ripped off a piece of his shirt and started wrapping it around the wound. The taller man kept shaking his head frantically, mumbling incoherent words. Rick thought that it sounded like, Words in my head, they won't stop. What was that supposed to mean? He guessed that the taller CO was going through shock after having some of his hand bitten off by another CO who was supposed to be dead. Mark was the first man to gain some sense. He ran away from the scene, heading out into the darkness. He was out of sight for less than five seconds when he screamed. Rick turned to see what was going on. Mark was coming back. His hand covered the same spot on the throat that they'd just seen a hole in Clarence's. Blood gushed from behind the hands, running down his uniform. Blood also poured from his mouth as he attempted to speak. His words came out in a garbled mess that was impossible to understand. He stared ahead with eyes that didn't seem to be seeing anything. He dropped to his knees and placed his hands on the floor, revealing a large hole where his throat should have been. It looked exactly the same way that Clarence's had just minutes earlier. He took one last look forward, his eyes meeting with Rick's, before he fell face first to the floor and moved no more. Something was happening, something bad. Rick looked around, trying to make out what had happened to Mark. There was something in the shadows moving around slowly. He couldn't make out what it was, but it looked human. Somebody was trying to kill them. And for some reason, Clarence Hongisto was in on it. Rick looked back towards the two COs. As he did, his heart sunk. Clarence was trying once more to get back to his feet. Neither CO saw what was happening behind them. He thought about calling out to them, but thought better of it. Either one of them would have left the inmates to die if given the chance. This was a chance for the prisoners to get out while there was still a chance. He saw something that might prove useful in their defense. It was the taller man's weapon. It lied on the floor a few feet away from where they knelt. He looked back to Clarence and saw that he was almost completely back to his feet. He had to time it just right. He started running, passing Chris as he did. He ducked down and grabbed hold of the gun as he kept running. He fumbled it in his hands, nearly losing it, but managed to gain control. He turned, 
ready to fire on whoever was in his way. He was surprised when the COs hadn't noticed him. They'd both realized that Clarence was back on his feet and moving towards them. The shorter man stood and fired the rest of his clip into Clarence. At least two bullets hit him in the face. Blood and bone sprayed out as the bullets destroyed everything they touched. Clarence fell to the ground once more, but still moved. The man wouldn't die. The CO switched clips and aimed his weapon at Clarence again. The taller CO, now by himself on the floor, continued to babble incoherently as his hands, including the bad one, rested on each side of his face. He shook as if he were trying to get something out. Rick raised his gun, pointing at the man's head. He considered putting this man out of the misery he was obviously suffering. No. He couldn't do that. His murdering days were over. This man would likely survive, even if he looked as if he were going mad. There was no point in putting down this horse. It would prove to be a big mistake for the shorter man. The taller man stood up and approached his partner. He opened his mouth and bit down on the back of the shorter man's neck. He screamed in pain, taking his eyes off Clarence. He turned to see his partner, and fear blazed across his face. It was as if he didn't recognize the man he was looking at anymore. Somebody's coming, Chris called out. Forgetting the horror before him, Rick turned. He tried to see where Chris was looking. He followed Chris's eyes to the back of the room, where two figures were approaching out of the darkness. Rick didn't need the light to see that these two figures weren't human. At least not anymore. They walked hunched over, with eyes that gleamed green like deer in the headlights. As they left the shadows, their teeth became visible in the small amount of light that the fallen flashlight produced. Fear gripped Rick. Everything he'd once known in his 39 years on the planet meant nothing at the moment. It was as if reality as he'd known it had changed completely, becoming something he'd never dreamt of. Rick lifted the gun and fired until it clicked. Several shots hit each of the figures in the head, exactly where he was aiming. He was relieved to find that he still had a good aim after 18 years in prison. Unfortunately, the bullets did little to slow them. He dropped the gun and ran to Chris. He grabbed hold of Chris's arm and said, Let's get out of here. They ran to the exit. As they made it to the door, he turned to figure out where Phil and John were. It took a few seconds, but he found them. Two other figures had appeared out of the darkness and were attacking them. John was holding his throat while Phil was already lying face down on the ground. A pool of blood spread around him. What exactly had happened? This was supposed to be a rescue mission, not a one-way ticket to death. He turned his attention back to Chris. He got the door open and was on his way through. Rick started to follow but stopped. Chris ran directly into another one of whatever these things were. This one had long, greasy hair and strange red eyes. He wasn't human. He was something far worse. Chris stood there, looking at this creature. By the look of things, he was too scared to move. The creature moved forward, grabbing hold of Chris by the throat. Rick watched, expecting the creature to take a bite out of Chris's throat. That never happened. Instead, all he did was move his wrist. Rick heard something snap like dry wood. Chris's head fell to the side, drooping at a strange angle. The creature dropped him. He fell to the floor. Chris was dead. Rick stood where he was, 
looking over the situation, he was in a whole lot of trouble. He was alone with these things, whatever they were. One CO was dead, the other had gone crazy and killed him, and each of the four men that he'd come in with was bloody and dying. With all of the carnage, he realized that his time was only a matter of seconds away. He looked down briefly at his weapon. It was empty. He'd fired everything into the heads of two of those damn creatures that had been coming his way. He glanced over his shoulder. He wasn't at all surprised to see that they were still coming. He'd never heard of somebody being shot in the head and act as if nothing happened. If these things weren't human, what were they? He moved out into the corridor with the gun held in his hands like a baseball bat. He intended on swinging for a home run the first chance he got. That took all of five seconds as the creature that broke Chris's neck moved into his path. Rick closed his eyes and swung the gun as hard as he could. His hands vibrated as the gun struck the creature. He opened his eyes, expecting to see the creature on the floor. The creature was standing exactly where he'd been previously, his nose slightly askew. The gun had shattered, becoming chunks of metal on the floor. He ran to his left, then cut back sharply. He hoped the quick moves would confuse the creature, allowing him to get by. The creature only looked at him, allowing him by. Rick was in the open, running down the corridor as fast as he could. He was free. He was going to make it. Something dug into his back, causing a numbing pain that was unbearable. He stopped running and turned. The creature was on him and had sunk his teeth into his back. Rick reached back, trying to force the beast's lips apart. He moved his hand into position, digging into its lips. He grimaced and immediately retracted his hands. He stared at his fingers, or more specifically, what was left of them. His fingers looked tattered and bloody, as if something had gone to work on them with razor blades. This wasn't good. He heard strange words in his mind, faint at first but growing louder. He finally understood what the CO had been talking about. He'd been screaming because of the words that these creatures implanted into his mind. Clarence had been one of the creatures all along. The words were hard to understand at first, but they continued growing louder. His body gradually lost strength as the words continued gaining volume and taking over his brain like an insurgence. He tried to move his hands, but found that they only moved a little. He was losing control of his own body. The words became clear, filling his mind with images that were frightening yet welcoming. He saw what his life would become. He saw freedom that this prison had taken from him for all these years. He saw Jason Wrangle, his friend. No, that wasn't quite right. He wasn't a friend. No, not at all. He was one of them. Whatever that was supposed to mean. Jason wasn't like Rick anymore, and for that he would have to pay dearly. He also saw an old man, the one that had been asking about Jason for the last few days. He was their true enemy. This man had to die very soon. Lastly, he saw himself. He saw himself as a mighty being, almost godlike. He liked that feeling. Power was good. Then a realization struck him that he hadn't prepared for. All these images and thoughts weren't his own. The three words that repeated themselves constantly in his mind were proof of that. 
They told him that death has come. The voices were absolutely right. He was dying. He'd seen what happened to the CO after being bit. His body would live, but he wouldn't. The realization was more powerful than the thoughts the bite had created. He managed to do one more thing before he became no more. Rick Carlson screamed as he disappeared into a sea of darkness forever. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012, Going Postal Publishing.